you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, here's, if you're new or visiting, or if you just haven't been here in a little bit because of life circumstances and stuff like that, I know we had a couple a uh, couple families, a couple individuals that were kind of battling with sickness uh, recently too. So just give you a quick synopsis of Nehemiah. So you're finding your way to Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, chapter 1, we had this uh, personal problem that he was dealing with. Uh, my mic's a little hot this morning, if you could turn that down some. Um, so there was a personal problem, and it was about Jerusalem. The wall wasn't being built. His, his brother came, if you remember, and he was really broken up about that. Then chapter 2, we have a political problem uh, dealing with Jerusalem and, and going there to rebuild, and Artaxerxes, who he was going to mention that to. Chapter 3, we have an administrative problem as he goes and does inspection of all those things, and the... Um, decrepancy of all the walls. Uh, chapter 4, we have a physical and psychological problem as Sandibalt, if I'm saying that right, and who's going to show up here in the next chapters as well, uh, kind of the uh, enemy of the book of Nehemiah, basically. Uh, physical and psychological problems as they are going to maybe attack as they're rebuilding the wall, which brings us to chapter 5. Chapter 5, we have just another kind of problem. It's economic and social Seems like this is a good book for America right now, right? We've got uh, personal problems, political problems, administrative problems, physical, psychological problems. Speak for yourself, pastor, right? Uh, Economic and social problems, of course. And uh, what we're going to see in this text is we get a little bit of new information about Nehemiah. We're going to see in the text that he is the official governor of the land. Artaxerxes gave him that title upon sending him out. If you remember, we talked a little bit about that in the first uh, couple chapters when he went out with the armies and the things like they had and the letters that he had for the people of the, t- of the time. So he's the official governor of the land. We also see that, uh, you know, Artaxerxes, remember he said, yeah, you can go, but you need to tell me when you're going to be back. And we see in the text today, he was there for at least 12 years. Um, and he seems to have two different stints of that. That's not the main part of what we're talking about today. So I just wanted to make sure we kind of get the housekeeping out of the way as we get into the rest of the text. But we can relate. I know I can relate to Nehemiah today. We can relate to the people in the text today, I believe. And so as we talk about uh, the title of today's sermon, Walls uh, of Wealth, as we talk about today's message, walls, nope, there. Let me just get the clicker. You guys got lazy in the back. All right, so as we talk today, sermon about walls of wealth, building and budgets, empathy and economics, here's, here's what I want for you to understand. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of sin. Wealth and money are not the issue. The heart is the issue. Nehemiah 5 is going to illustrate for us this biblical balance of both those who are extremely poor and those who are extremely wealthy in the heart of the matter that's behind it. And so Nehemiah 5 is going to address our hearts this morning. Yes, it's going to address our pocketbooks as well, but the main issue is our heart. And so while it does speak of things like the misuse of wealth, it also speaks of a a, a march larger spiritual issue that I hope to make plain before the end of today's message. So, if you are a note taker, and if you have a copy of the notes that I tried to give to you, you're going to see on there, uh, or if you're just following along mentally, you're going to see that we have three parts to today's message. There's going to be ten appeals in today's message, and then I hope at the end one 
honed point, which is an application of today's message. So that's, that's where I'm going to take you, I hope, uh, where God has taken me as we look at Nehemiah 5. So as we do that, let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this text. We thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have texts like this that we can relate to and we can see ourselves in and that teach us about ourselves and about you and about our Savior. God, we pray that as we look at today's text that you would keep us attentive to what you would teach us. Uh, Not what this pastor would say, but what your Holy Spirit, by the reading of your word, would have for our hearts. Grow us, God, to follow after you, to cherish you, to herald your name among these the people of which you have planted us. It's in your name that we pray these things for your kingdom, for your glory, and we know for our good. Amen. So as we look at this, the first um, topic or the first point, I guess we would say, is first part would be the problem. Here's the problem as we look at the text. So now you guys can follow along and click through as I read through, right? Amen. So the problem starts in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. It it, it has this very quick shift from where we were at to this new problem like we talked about. He's been tackling these problems. Here's a new one about uh, the economy. So now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is the flesh of all our brothers. Our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it for Other men have our fields and our vineyards. So as we start, the problem is pretty evident, but I'll clarify it for you just in case. The problem is the way that these Jews are treating the other Jews. Now, I don't know if any of us are born into a Jewish family and you have converted to Christianity, so let me just apply that to you this morning. The the issue here is the people of God and how they treat other people of God. Savvy? Too much Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know why I said savvy. (laughs) So Christians treating Christians, Jews treating Jews poorly. And there's different kinds of hardship that this makes happen, right? There's also the hardships of just life in general. So we have to remember these farmers, this is an agricultural society, right? And we have to remember what they've been working on. They've been working on building a wall. And so remember they had their sword on their hip and then the trowel in their hand or they had a spear in their hand and the bricks on the board that they were giving back to these people. And so a lot of these folks had to, for a time, uh, abandon what they would otherwise be doing for the sake of building up of the wall. So they were, they were forsaking other duties for the sake of building God's kingdom, so to speak. And they're busy on that so they cannot do the farming. And so they have no choice but to do these things. Now, there are also some people who still own these farms. There are other uh, indentured servants and slaves. And, and I know, you know the history we have here, and maybe you feel some kind of way about that, but biblical slavery is far different from anything that we've experienced in this country. And this is not what this sermon is about. So can we just all agree that we're going to move on and just accept that this is fact in Scripture? But anyway, so the deal is, is they were being 
harsh and cruel to one another and they're selling one another indentured slavery and they're having to take out mortgages and so they don't have all the funds that they need because they're working on the wall instead of the farm work. And also, if that wasn't enough, as we see in the text, there seems to be a a famine in the land. And so we know that there was hardships, even for those who had the land and could farm the land during this time, it was still a poor harvest. And then also on top of that, you had King Artaxerxes that was continuing to give taxes, not give taxes, was continuing to take taxes from the people. In Ezra, now if you remember any of what I said before, and I know 80% of what I say is forgotten, and and quite frankly, if you remember uh, the Bible, I'm fine with you forgetting everything I say, but if you happen to remember what I've talked about, I said, you know, in the book of Ezra, uh, the the timelines, if you remember that, they they were given back to Jerusalem, they were going to rebuild, and then for whatever reason it stopped. Well, in Ezra chapter 4, verse 13, it says, now, be it known to the king that if the city is rebuilt and the wall's finished, and there's the key, if the wall's finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Do you think that had any reason why they stopped the building? I think so. They wanted their taxes. So they're working on the wall rather than their field. Well, here's the question I have for you before we move on to the next part of this three-part. I want to ask you, do you think beyond yourself when you think about how you deal with your money or how you go about accumulating money? Do you ever ask whether what you do with your money harms other Christians or keeps them from being able to devote themselves to the work of the church? On the flip side, like these Israelites that suffered long under this, are you so prideful that you have to be at your very bottom of the barrel before you'll ask for help? Are you willing to let the family of believers help you? Because I see issues on both sides. I see issues on the wealthy taking advantage of the impoverished, lording it over them, and so therefore those who are already struggling financially have to, in the text, sell themselves over. And I also see the plight of these where it says, now there arose a great outcry and of their wives, that they let it get so bad there that there was no possible other outcome for them than this. And so as we see, the problem is the heart of the people. The problem is how they treated one another. The problem is what they think of God, as we're going to see in just a minute, because the next part, of course, we're going is the solution to this. So Nehemiah is going to provide the solution in chapter 5, verses 6 through 13, if you want to read along with me. It says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And this was kind of uh, gutsy to do. In the text here, it's kind of lost on us in the, in the English. And by the way, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't understand your Bibles. I, it just means I've got a lot of commentaries and stuff that I read. Don't think that I'm some super fancy Greek scholar and I know all this stuff. Like, I went to seminary and they taught me that. But it's just like like if you don't use it, you lose it. And so I, I'm, you know, if you buy good commentaries, you can get a lot of the stuff I'm telling you too. Okay, so just read your Bible and trust the Holy Spirit to teach you. But anyway, uh, he was very angry when he heard this the outcry, and he took counsel with himself. Basically, what he's saying is here is I was so upset that it took me a minute. You know, I did the whole count to ten, and I kind of, you know, woosah, and uh, and then I went and talked to them. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brothers. 
And I held a great assembly against them. Again, this is, this is gutsy move. He's talking to the officials and the nobles, right? These are not just nobodies, right? I, I guess is what we'd say. And he held this whole council against them. And he said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Uh, they were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. So let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. So not only are they taking their, their vineyards, and their, they're, they're also they're taking the product that's being produced. So he's saying, give back to them both their land and that which it is producing, at least a percentage of that. Verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do this as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment. So also, this is, you know, culturally lost on us. This is the equivalent of him standing before them and turning out his pockets, basically. So they would have these robes or these sashes, and that's where they would, you know, that's where they would put their stuff. They would put it in their sashes and then tie it around. It 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 was the first fanny pack. So anyway, so he said, I'm going to call these priests to have you promise. He also shook out the fold of his garment as a visual illustration. And then he said to them, so may God shake out every man from his household and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And so I want to take you through. So we've done two of the parts. So I want to get into you uh, the 10 appeals, all right? So if, again, if you're a note taker, you can fill these out. Them in the back, they're going to uh, keep track with me too in case I get uh, in front of myself. But the first is this appeal to community. Nehemiah 5, 7, he says, I took counsel with myself and then I brought charges against them. I had a great assembly against them. There's something very powerful when we know that everybody else is doing it, Right? And so with that, like Nehemiah, I want to give you an appeal to community. Is that not what the body of believers is supposed to be, a, a community? 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six: if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Galatians six ten. therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That is part of what either draws people into a church or what turns them off. I can't tell you how many folks in this room, and you've heard their testimonies of people who become members of the church or they just stick around for a while and you talk to them or, or they fill out contact cards. Or, well, what's some stuff that you noticed first? It's on the contact card. What's, some, what's something that you noticed first? What brought you to Allegan Bible Church? Why do you want to be a member of Allegan Bible Church? And the thing I hear consistently is, this is a place where I feel at home. This is a place where I feel like it's a family. And I praise God that that is what people are saying. But I also, here's my concern about that. 
Is that still the way people feel when they're down? Or, or are we neglecting our brothers and sisters? If one member suffers, all suffer. Is that true here? Do we want that to be true here? Because I do. If one member is honored, all rejoice. And so Nehemiah gives an appeal to a community, and I'm going to echo that appeal to community, and I'm going to say, listen, he was talking about those who were born of Abraham. And you've heard the saying, you know, blood is thicker than water. Well, if that's the case, beloved, we have been bought by the best blood, the blood of Christ. And so that blood ought to be thicker than any other blood that we might know or cherish. And so I appeal to the community for us to act as we ought. Another is appeal to compassion. We see in chapter 5, verse 8a, which says, And he said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. This is out of love. Remember what happened with Nehemiah? He asked his brother what's going on there, and he heard about the devastation of the people and that the wall was broken down and basically that the glory of Israel was not there anymore, and it says that he wept. Do you remember this? He wept, and then he prayed, and then he made a plan to go to the king, even though it might cost him his life. He knew that the, what, the outcome was greater than his, his life was even worth, and so he He weighed in the balance, and his compassion is what drove him. And he says here, we, as far as we are able, have been buying these folks back from slavery. Remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others like them, right? We're talking about all these nobles that, from the book of Lamentations, that when they were taken into captivity, they are trying to bring them back, so come back to their homeland. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so again, this morning I would echo Nehemiah's appeal and I would appeal to compassion. If we say that we love God, we ought to love one another. Next, he has an appeal to conscience. Again in verse 8, but the second part of that, he says, but even you sell your brothers that, you may, that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find word to say. That's right. Do you know why? Because they were convicted. It's not my job to convict you. I I can wax eloquent, and even that is arguable. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you of where you are faltering and failing, and it's the Holy Spirit's uh, job, and and I get to do this too. I get to encourage you where I see you uh, doing well. And so this appeal to conscience as we are in a group of one another, as he has them in a group of one another, he just straight up tells them, listen, what you're doing is, is wrong. He's going to say that next. That's the next appeal. But he appeals to their conscience. Romans 3.19 says, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You know, there's times where I have to get after my children, and they always have a, a but, Right? but whatever. And what I want from them is, no, 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 I, I, I don't want the excuses. What I want is silence because I want for you to understand that what happened was, was wrong and we need to deal with that. What, what I want is for their consciences to be pricked. And we see here in the text in Nehemiah that when that happens, our mouths are stopped before a holy God. 
And so like Nehemiah, I'm going to appeal to your conscience, but I'm also going to move on to number four, which is appeal to truth in verse 9, part A. It says, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Now we live in a society right now that tries to say, well, that's your truth, not my truth. And the fact is, well, that's garbage. So that's the truth. You can't have two truths. If you don't believe that, go try to breathe water. Not really, don't do that, right? Because the, the truth is, you can't breathe water. It doesn't matter how much you believe that. Leviticus, so I'm going to throw some scripture at you. So this is an appeal to truth. The thing you are doing is not good. How does Nehemiah know it's not good? Well, that's going to tie into these next two, so I'll put them up there, but I have specific things. So he has an appeal to truth based on an appeal to theology, which is a, also an appeal to the text, okay? Why, why don't we just do this? We'll give you all four of them. They're all T's anyway. You probably caught that. So it's appeal to truth, an appeal to theology, appeal to the text, with lastly, an appeal to his testimony. Are you ready for these? So it's appeal to truth, and he goes back to the law. Leviticus 25, 35 through 37, Deuteronomy 15, 7, and again, Leviticus 25, 39 through 41. So if you're a note taker, again, I'll tell you that. That's Leviticus 25. You can just write that down and find it in Deuteronomy 15, 7. Leviticus 25 says this, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear God, and your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. Kind of sounds like they're breaking that commandment, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost verbatim. What Nehemiah is talking about here. He's applying the truth, which is based on his theology, which is coming from the text. So Deuteronomy, if anyone among you, one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you shall not uh, harden your hearts or shut your hand against your poor brother. First Timothy, if you thought this was just a, an Old Testament thing, and well, pastor, we're, we're, we're New Testament saints. Okay. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you're not off the hook. And by the way, some of these commands are caught up with the things like love your neighbor as yourself. And this is all the law. Leviticus 25.39-41, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall go out from you, he and his children with you, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. Nehemiah is going to be here for 12 years. This is why he's upset. The year of Jubilee is every seventh year. So the appeal to theology, ought you to walk in the fear of our God? Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Appeal to scripture or text. The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you to walk in the fear of God? He can say those two things because of the text. An appeal to his testimony then is in Nehemiah verse 9 also. So all these have been in verse 9 really. 9a, 9b, 9c. To prevent the taunts of the nations. So it, it pains me to hear that as many folks as come here and become a part of the body, of the family, of the brothers and sisters in Christ as through Church Universal, as many as I've heard say that, that hey, I want to come here because this feels like family. 
I got to tell you, I've also heard from people out in the community who don't go to any church because they've said, you know, I don't have any use for church because when I was going through a tough time, I was shunned or I was humiliated or I was kicked out or I was ostracized and I didn't feel this love of Christ that you Christians say that you're supposed to have. And he says here, to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies. You see, your testimony to the world around you matters and our church's testimony to the world out there matters. And we have to build that testimony through things like appealing to the truth, theology, text, but also our testimony, how we live that out. I'm going to preach truth from this pulpit so far as I am able, and the Lord is with me, so help me God, right? On the flip side, we need to make sure that we say, love the sinner, hate the sin. And so any time, listen, there's a thing that's about to happen August 20th here in Allegan. There's a parade that's going to happen. Are you going to be praying for them? Because you ought to be. Are you going to go down and, and, and gently show them the love of Christ by witnessing to them? Maybe, maybe, maybe you can buy a, 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 a case of water and just hand out water to people who are marching on August 20th. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Look it up on the Allegan Facebook page or whatever. And you can hand out water in the name of Christ to those who you disagree with. W.E. Stanger used to pose this searching question. It's good, so I'll repeat it to you. Here's what he says. Are some people outside the church of Jesus Christ because I am inside it? That hurts. And so he goes on and he has another appeal to practice. He says, moreover, in verse 10, moreover, I and my brothers, my servants, are, are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. He says, this is not what I'm practicing. This is not what my experience has been. And I hope that that's the case for you today as we think about, as we remember. Remember, so this text is about Jews using their wealth in a way that is unrighteous to subjugate other people of the kingdom. So Jews against Jews. And remember, my plea to you is, okay, as Christians, are we subjugating and mistreating other Christians? And so my appeal to you is to use your wealth, use your influence, use your, everything that God has given you for the building up of his kingdom, for the serving of one another so the gospel can go forward. I don't want to lose that in all these, all these notes that we're taking. And so my appeals to you are the same as Nehemiah's with all these things that we're talking about. And so my appeal also is to your practice. The way that Nehemiah says this. Nehemiah is a man of God. We've seen that throughout scripture. And so he's telling us again, this is how a man of God acts. A man of God does not do these things. A woman of God does not do these things. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants, we haven't been doing these things. And so he also has an appeal to promise, which we have. We have an even greater promise than what he has. And he calls the priests in. So again, we'll, we'll get all these up here so you can take the practice, promise, and the punishment. And so he appeals to his own practice, but he also appeals to the promise. If you look at verses 11 and 12 in chapter 5 there, he says, I called the priests and made them swear to obey what they had promised. You see, it's one thing to, on a Sunday morning, I know this because I'm human too, right? I, I haven't been reading your mail necessarily, but I, I just know how this is because I'm human too. It's one thing on Sunday morning for you to hear a word of God and for your heart to say yes and amen. And then Monday happens. 
And you're like, this is a lot harder to apply right now in my life than it was sitting in the pew. Listen, y'all, I'm no fool. It's not like I was born last night. Give me a little bit of credit here. I lived a life before Jesus saved me. I understand that I preach a word because it's the Bible, that I preach a word that is harder than we can live. Do you not think that I understand that? So they made a promise, and then I'm going to ask you to do the same thing because somebody else has given a promise to us. Christ Jesus has given us a promise. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of this promised hope that lives now within us. And so then lastly, and, and worst, and I, and I think there's wisdom that Nehemiah does this this way, and, I, and, and I, I hope and I pray that my parenting or my preaching forms the same way. He lastly, his appeal to practice, an appeal to promise, and then lastly, an appeal to punishment. As he says, I'm going to shake out my garment. In verse 13, so may God shake out all y'all, right? Is what he's saying to the Jewish people. I paraphrase. And notice the people's response. They say, amen, and they praise the Lord for this. So Nehemiah's solution was all these appeals. An appeal to them with all of these things. He, he used every arrow in his quiver. He said, here's the problem. This is what is evident to me. This is the solution. And he used every single appeal that he has. And then we're going to close this section with Nehemiah's example to them in, in verses 14 through 19. Okay? So he says, moreover, in verse 14, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years... Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day, are you hearing this? For 12 years, each day, I've done the math for you. I found a commentary that did the math for me. And this is what he says. So out of 12 years, multiplied 365 days, this is 4,300 80 oxen. And then he also, if you look at the text, he slaughtered six sheep per day for 12 years. That's 26,280 sheep to feed those people. Now that was prepared at my expense, he says in verse 18. Yet, if we fast forward now, and all kinds of wine and uh, every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy for his, this people. And this is how he closes in verse 19. Remember for my good, oh my God, that I have done this for this people. So I want to ask you a question this morning. And if you had the means at your disposal to provide 500 pounds of food every single day, and you were able to feed 150 people with that food, would you feel guilty about having the ability to do so? Because I hope the answer is no. Well, wait a minute. 
isn't this text, isn't the beginning of this text about how people with wealth are mistreating other people and so they ought to feel, rich people ought to feel bad, right? Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, For there is one body and many members, and all these members don't have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace God has given to us. He says, so let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in exhortation, here it is, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. All that's talking about uh, these kind of things, but verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Here's the one that everybody likes to quote around special giving campaigns, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? And so Nehemiah in here is His example for us is compassion for others, his reverence for God, but more importantly than that, he's doing this not just because he loves his fellow Jews, not just because he loves God, although he does. He's doing this ultimately because, I'm sorry, maybe I said that, yeah, no, 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 Uh, I don't know what I said. Here's what I mean to say. He, He loves other people. He loves God, but he also understands that there, there is a righteous reward that he's asking for, and he's not ashamed to do that. Do you see how he closes out this section? Verse 19, God, remember what I'm doing for your people. Because he understands, yeah, he might be able to provide 500 pounds of flesh for these people. But I believe Nehemiah understood that, that there was going to be a God-man who was going to come and provide the only flesh necessary for his life and life everlasting. See, our need is to balance all the Bible's teaching on the subject of money. Our need is to see that even if we sell everything we have, give it all away, we haven't still necessarily done what would please God. We also need to see that indulging ourselves at the expense of others does not please God. We need to know how to steward what we have for the glory of Christ for the good of others, to advance the gospel. That's what this is about. There's all kinds of texts. Matthew 26, 11, for you always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. Matthew 19, 21. If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor so that you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Matthew 6, 19-21, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 9, 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. They will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 1 Timothy six ten. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. 
It is through its craving, and some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Philippians 2, 4 and 5, Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futility ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So you remember at the beginning of this, I said, here's what we're going to talk about. Three parts, ten appeals, one application. Here's the parts. There's a problem, a very physical, temporal problem. There's a solution, a very physical, temporal solution. And there's an example, a very physical, temporal example in Nehemiah. And there's all these appeals that he gives. And so how does that apply to us today? Well, I think that applies in, in a couple of different ways. Here's, here's the application. First is our heart's outcry is due to our bondage of sin. You see, that is the problem. The problem is like these Israelites. Here's the thing. In Bible text, we often like to see ourselves as the hero or something like that, when often that's not the case. I think we in this situation are not Nehemiah's, although we can learn from Nehemiah. I think we're the Israelites. We have mortgaged ourselves. We have sold one another. We have decided that bondage to the slavery of sin. In fact, we were born into bondage of the slavery of sin. Our heart's outcry, the outcry that we are giving, the problem is is that we are slaves to sin. And so the solution is we must too be redeemed. We must be released. And only Jesus does this. And so in this text, Nehemiah is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. We see the issue in humanity of the Jews who are subjugated. They need a redeemer. They need a restorer. And we see also here the example that he gave as redeemer is the member of a kingdom that does not live in accordance to the riches of this glorious grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, every one of us is in bondage to sin. If we are honest, we have so many times sought to mortgage or sell our own souls in the fleeting pleasures of this world. We are in captivity and we need a rescuer. And I want you to look around at these brothers and sisters of yours. They are powerless to rescue you just as the Jews were powerless to rescue one another. And the reason is for they themselves do not have what it takes to redeem us from, the, from this people of death. Yet there is a gracious, generous, loving leader, a ruler who is wealthy, who has the means, the authority, and the desire to not only purchase us from this bondage, but also care for us in the times of need and distress. He wants to protect and to provide for us. We see Nehemiah here in today's text is simply a veil behind and through which we can see a glimpse of that one true king of glory, that very Jesus Christ, whose own precious blood was spilt to bring us freedom. He purchased your release and now offers to you the fruit of his very table, which is much more choice than any ox or ram and is even the very living bread of life and the living water which he provides. So now, as no longer slaves, let us to imitate this glorious example And be a people who seeks to use the blessings which he has provided for the service of his kingdom. 
for greater is our reward in him than any sacrifice we ourselves could make. So that is my final appeal. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this text of Nehemiah and the illustration of, of him as the pre-version of Christ who sets a people free of their bondage, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who, as David said, prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, who does not turn away any of us, but with open arms accepts us into his kingdom and washes us clean. God, help us as we see this section of text. Help us to apply this to our own lives. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon us that we might live as the church to one another and to the people outside of it because the problem is the bondage of slavery. The solution is Jesus Christ. So God, help this church and each member of it be the example. It's in your name we pray. Amen.